You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. And that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool to begin uh, a few sermons on marriage on the eve of your 30-year anniversary. And it's been a great 30 years. In fact, I would not, honestly, I would not want to preach what I'm going to preach this morning. I, I just not, I would not want to be challenged to do this if I didn't have a great marriage. It's not a perfect marriage, but it's a marriage that we have worked hard to keep under God's authority. <clears throat> and I'm grateful today for my wife of 30 years, and I'm excited about tomorrow and a couple of days this week we're going to take to spend together. 30, we feel like, is somewhat of a, of a, a big mile marker in in a marriage life. And so we're very thankful and I'm very grateful for Carol Ann and want to publicly say that. And in order to kind of segue into this message this morning, um, and by the way, does anybody need a worship guide? Raise your hand. Great, got quite a few. Thanks guys. I saw, I saw a few being handed out. So we'll get to everybody that has their hand up. All right. And just take your time guys and I'll, I'll continue to talk here. But you know, the Ten Commandments, <clears throat> Exodus chapter 20 in your Bibles, you probably already see that in your, in your worship guide, but as you turn to Exodus 20, I want to draw your attention in just a few moments to that passage. And you know, sometimes I think we look at a commandment and we, we don't view it in the way that, that God intended us to view it. The Ten Commandments have been popularized in movies, to be honest. I mean, sometimes I think Hollywood has kind of stolen the thunder of the true meaning of the Ten Commandments. They've also been marked as a, a needless restriction. You know, why, why do we need this kind of restriction? This is just for uh, the, the Christian religious world. And so sometimes we see the Ten Commandments even uh, damaged by a legalistic approach to speaking on them, which I'll talk about in just a few moments. But you know, God's commandments are protection. God's commandments are life. God's commandments are unchanging. God's commandments are binding. And God's commandments are protection to keep us from pain. We need to understand that. It's a wonderful gift that God has given us in these Ten Commandments. And you could apply them to absolutely any subject in life. I could choose to speak on any particular subject this morning, and I could use as a text the Ten Commandments. If it were finances, we could use this text. It happens to be marriage this morning, and we're going to use this text. Because God, God's laws have a biblical application into every aspect of our life. And so as we look at God's laws this morning, as we examine these commandments... I want to challenge you to open your heart, to understand how powerful it is to understand exactly what it means to obey, to follow, to place yourself under God's wonderful, powerful, protective authority. So let's read it, shall we? The Word of God is powerful, and reading it is an incredible way of, of sharing it. So let's just read it word for word. Here we go. Verse 1, Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. 
You shall not make for yourself the carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not uh, bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do not do any work or you, your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood afar off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off and Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. A commandment. What is a commandment? A commandment can either be do this or a commandment could be, don't do this. And in this very first commandment found in verse number three, God says very clearly and plainly without any argument, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, just a moment, I'm going to connect this to marriage and family, and, and you may not see it coming, but, but just hang on for just a moment. No other gods. That, that's pretty clear. And if I could just for a moment brag on my God that there is no other God than God Almighty, Jehovah Jireh. You see, God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. And all other little g-gods are impotent. They are powerless. No harloting with false gods, he says. No Buddhas. Buddha is a false god. No Krishna. Krishna is a false god. No Muhammad. Muhammad is a false god. No false gods and no fear in saying so. You know, it's, been, it's amazing to me how even pastors are intimidated to, to say that anymore. It used to be that we had a little more courage about standing for the one and only true and living God. But now we tend to be worried and concerned, is anyone out there going to be offended because we are simply speaking the truth in love? But there is no other way around the truth of God's word that says, you shall have no other gods. There is only one true God. And everyone who truly knows him and follows him is more loving. They're more caring. They're more giving. They're more generous. And they're more selfless than they ever were before they knew him. And that's the truth. And those that are following false gods, the very opposite of all of that is true. 
You see, God is an amazing God who when he covers us with his love that we sang about this morning, we become a people who understand love and giving and caring and generosity and being selfless. And so I think there's a reason why you shall have no other gods before me is the top of the top ten. There's a reason for that. All of them are important. But there's something about this one where God says, just me, just me, no other gods. I'm in charge. Do what I say. I'm going to write it down. I'm going to make it clear. I'm God. And then God says, by the way, don't forget my resume. I'm not asking this without some credibility. He says in verse number two, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me, right? Don't, don't forget that. Remember I brought you out of slavery. Remember I sent the ten plagues. Remember that I opened the Red Sea and I, 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 I drowned the enemies and I saved your life. I don't know how many of you are like me, but how recently has God done something for you? How recently has God done something for you and you don't remember? How recently has that happened to you? I love Bill's testimony this morning as he spoke about those deers that jumped out of the forest. And as they scattered off, it reminded him of God's love for him. When's the last time you forgot something that God did for you? And then God says, remember now, no other gods before me. God's resume is expressed here. At times I wonder if we struggle with authority because we fear disadvantage. And we foolishly think to ourselves, you know what? I might be missing out with God. You know, I don't know. I mean, there's some things God says don't do, but maybe he didn't actually mean what he said. In Genesis chapter 3, we have the first time that occurred. And it occurred to a married couple. When they began to question God's authority. My wife and I have done marriage counseling for the past 30 years here at Gospel Light. Or I say uh, 26 years at Gospel Light, 30 years of marriage. But 26 years here. And oftentimes we've reached back into a great resource called Family Life. Family Life, oddly enough, is based out of Little Rock. And they have great resources. And, and so Carol Ann and I have sat down with many couples sitting in this building, other couples that uh, we've, we've pre, done premarital counseling. And we've often used the video clip that I'm about to show you to introduce my message about God's authority. And I want you to take close, pay close attention to this video clip as you watch it. It's six minutes long. It's done very professionally. I've showed it dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of times to illustrate to couples how important it is for us not to be deceived by Satan's lies when it comes to God's authority and commandments in our lives. So take a close look at this video, and then I'm going to come and finish the message. Here it is. The serpent. Snake was the savviest of all of the creatures in the Creator's perfect planet. 
The reptile surveyed the scene with keen snake eyes. Streetwise, armed with an arsenal of plausible lies, he slithered up to Eve, the woman, from her blind side, preserving the element of surprise. And he said, Hello, child. How was your day? I overheard your conversation. I just had one simple question. Exactly what did the creator say? That thing about the tree, the evil and the good. How do you know that you understood? Did he really say what you think you heard? Maybe your mind twisted up the words. Did he say hands off all the plants? Don't look, don't touch, don't taste. What a waste that would be. Eve, the woman, pointed out the tree with the taboo. The tree of the knowing, the good and evil too. She told the snake that God had made it drop dead clear that everything else was free. Every other tree. But if they took one tiny taste of the fruit of this particular one, they would absolutely, positively crash and burn. Said the snake, faking genuine concern. The deity's afraid of what you're gonna learn. With just one bite, you'll be just like him. Eyes wide open, knowing the heights of what humans can do, knowing the depths, the despicable too. God would have no tactical advantage over you. You and your man could have the run of the place, total control over the food you eat, the life you live, the path you choose. With just one small bite, you could gain the whole green world. And that means that God of yours would lose. The woman Eve walked closer and closer to the tree. She sniffed and felt the fruit against her cheek. Totally wise with open eyes. She said, what's wrong with that? Maybe my man and I were born for this. Born to know, born to control, born to rule. She swallowed hard and it was done. She gave some to her covenant partner, Adam. He opened his mouth and gobbled it down and the universe silent. It was the cool part of the day and God was walking, walking through the land he made. His ecosystem so magnificently put together, about to erode, about to implode before his sad and timeless eyes. He took one long last look 
and kiss the innocents. Goodbye. Adam? Where you hiding, son? Eve? Girl? What have you done? Around. It's broken now. Under a curse. From bad to worse. Now your eyes are wise and clear. Now you know shame. Now you know fear. Now you know you're naked. Now you run for cover. Well, here's what's gonna happen. Life will be shorter. Pain will be greater. Work will harder, grinding it out by the sweat on your brow, the blood on your hands, Eve and Adam, even the bond you have will now be strained, slightly off, distorted, reframed. And as for you, reptile snake, Adam will crush your head, you will strike and bite his heel, you will feel the weight of the consequences of what you've done for he looked them in the eye with a sigh. It's broken now, he said. And the serpent, he in this morning, I feel as if so often as a pastor, as you pour your heart out to your congregation and we walk away from God's authority, if the serpent is not just smiling at the way that sometimes we perceive God's authority in our lives. And so I speak to you this morning after after 30 years of, of marriage and understanding marriage not being at all a, a, you know, someone who has become an expert, but, but someone who is beginning to understand that God will be and must be the first and final authority in our marriage. I believe when God said, you shall have no other gods before me, in the context of marriage... He was saying this, no other gods at your house. No other gods. What an awesome foundation to build a marriage on. God is first. God is number one in our home. Nobody is before God. Every decision we make is based on what God says in his word. What an awesome foundation. What a safe foundation. What a way for a marriage to last. And to overcome some of the struggles that this world will bring because of that curse. Now remember, marriage was God's idea. Let's give God credit for marriage. I mean, a lot of people are trying to take God, uh, the credit from God, and they're trying to edit marriage. But can we remember what God said about marriage when he created it in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24? God said, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. No one 
has the right to edit God on that. No one has the right to change what marriage is. No one. Now, with that said, I, I want to draw your attention to a thought. I want you to think with me because this message is one of those where it may take you to think just a little bit. And, and I'm asking you to listen and to process. And, and as you take these notes, take them to your small groups or even your car on the way home or a nice Sunday afternoon conversation. But, but let, me, let me make sure you understand something that I don't think I understood in my early days of ministry. That we have not been tasked with policing God's law. I'm so glad that I understand that now. Listen and think about that for just a moment. We have not been tasked with protesting lawbreakers. That's not what our job is. You'll never see Gospelite promote some sort of a protest against someone that's breaking the law. That, that's not really, I mean, it's something I'm not, I'm, if someone does that, I'm not disrespecting them. I'm just saying that's not what we've been asked to do in Scripture. We've only been asked to do one thing. We have only been tasked with practicing God's law ourselves. And that is impossible without Jesus Christ. That's what we need to understand this morning. That no one can put God first in their marriage apart from the assistance of the Lord Jesus himself. You cannot put God first in your marriage apart from the help of Jesus. Jesus is the only way that we can attempt to keep God's law, to be able to, to, to process this and to be able to have the kind of marriage that God would have us to have. So consider this and take this to your prayer closet because it took me about 20 years of ministry to finally comprehend this and learn this, and that is this. You don't legislate morality to people. You live it. You live it. And then you love people into learning through trial and error to love it too. That's changed my ministry. That statement there, as you think about it, as you pray about it, as you go to your prayer closet, as you meditate upon it, I'm asking our church to consider to learn something if you have not already learned it like I'm learning it. And that is this. I'm not here to police you or to police God's law or to legislate exactly what everybody should do. I'm just simply here to live it and to love people. And in living it and loving it, people begin to learn through making mistakes, through struggling, through admitting our struggles, through admitting that we can't do it without the Lord Jesus, through admitting that all of us are falling short, but we're, with God's help, going to do better. And so I'm simply saying that there's something we can learn here as we begin to process God's authority, which is a good thing. Let me give you a warning, and let me give this warning especially because, you know, in the movie, this was an unmarried couple. This was a young man and a young lady, if we could just contextualize it for a moment, that began to date and began to consider themselves for uh, marriage, if we could just say that for, for, for the church's you know, to, to kind of contextualize it to our, our language. Um, and, and so let me, let me give a warning to those of you who are unmarried. Let me, let me give a warning to those of you in the building who are single but desire one day to be married. Maybe a word to those who have been married and failed, but you'd like to be married again. Let me say this to all high school students, college students. Beware the man that wants marriage but does not want God's authority. 
Beware the man. And I say man in this context because I do believe that men should be the spiritual leaders. And, and yet I could say this about the woman as well. But just for the sake of example this morning, beware that man who wants marriage. Beware that man who says, come on, sweetie, come on. Hey, you know I love you. Hey, let's do it. Nobody's going to find out. Let's have a little fun. We are the only ones that will know. That man is going to break more laws than just that one. Beware of that man who does not want to place himself under God's authority. Watch out for the man who is a lawbreaker because to know God's law and to reject it is lawlessness and that shows up in a lot of areas, not just some. Not just some. So be very careful this morning. You see, I'm always concerned about this attitude that says, man, have you checked out my chick? She's hot. Man, she looks really good. You ought to see her, man. Man, she's gorgeous. She's got this going. She's got, you ought to see her when she wears this. Let me just remind everybody in the room what every man ought to be looking for. It's a Proverbs 31.30 lady. And scripture says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. You see, I feel like I'm a blessed man. I, I'm attracted to my wife, and she's a beautiful young lady. You like the way I said that? And she still is. I'm blessed. I'm attracted to her. She is beautiful. And, and if for just a moment I could, if I was, you know, if I was, sometimes I'll be with my boys, and I'll say, man, mama's hot, isn't she? You know? I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not preaching against feeling attracted to a woman or to your girlfriend or to your fiance or to your wife. I'm simply saying the most important thing that attracted me to my wife was that she feared God. She loved God with all of her heart. And that before any of this hot stuff and look at her and she so this and she so that. Before any of that, I recognize that this is a woman who is to be praised because she fears God. And we need to come back to understanding what God's word says about these things. Because the man or the woman who is not under God's authority is not a candidate for a happy marriage. Let me ask you a question. And really think about this question. What's the solution for an unfaithful spouse, man or woman? Not even unfaithful in a sexual way. But just not wanting to work it out. I don't love her anymore. I want to go another direction. I mean, that's happening in the church to 50% plus, it seems. What is the solution to that? I mean, if, if they're not putting God first, what do you say? I mean, I get asked to counsel people all the time. I, I have them in my office, and, and we're trying to work through problems, and, and, and they're not in, in, in church, and they're not reading their Bibles and, and praying, and, and, and many times they're, they're, there's no God conversation. In fact, they really don't want you to talk about that. They, they really just want you to tell them how to, how to fix something that's unfixable without putting God first. There's absolutely no way to fix something without putting God first. The first commandment applies beautifully to a happy marriage. No other gods. That's why we participate in marriage vows. Think about it. Dearly beloved, we're gathered here today in the sight of God. In the sight of God. Why do we say that? 
Why do we recognize God's presence in every marriage ceremony? And then we go on to say, to join this man and this woman in holy matrimony. But why do we recognize first and foremost it's in the sight of God? Because we understand that God's will for every man and every woman is to put him first. Without putting him first, there really is no way for a marriage to be successful or to be harmonious. I'm thankful this morning for God's authority in my marriage. It started in the very beginning. You see, when I began to date my wife 32 years ago, uh, let's go back 33 before I dated her, and and I, I had a young lady that, was a very nice lady, and she was a good girl, and, and, and still is, as far as I know. I've not talked to her in years, but I, last I heard, she was married and doing great and had kids. I mean, she was a great girl. And I remember after dating her for a year, and I was feeling very strongly about pursuing her, and, and I realized, you know, that I, I needed her to know some things about me with where I kind of stood with some things, and I just, we went out, and we, our affections were growing, and, and I just did not want that to go farther than, than the understanding of God's place in our lives. And so we went out to a lake and sat at a bench and we began to talk. And, and I just told her, I said, look, I just need you to know some things about me. I, I, I have strong feelings for you and I, I, I'm feeling like this needs to maybe go farther. And I guess I'm at that place where, you know, I can see marriage coming, but I just need you to know where God is in my life and what his plans are and how... I feel about God and how important God is to me and where he stands and where God's will stands. And, and she said, man, you're scaring me. What are you talking about? Why, why are we, this is weird. And I said, I understand. I know. I, it's, it is kind of different. It is kind of weird. I, I just need you to know these things about me. And I'll make a long story short. We had a great conversation. It never got out of hand, but she did. We, we were kind of old fashioned. You know, I gave her my senior ring and. That's kind of how we did it back then. I don't know if they do it now like that, but she gave it back to me, and we parted ways. Well, three months later, I saw this this girl walking across the platform, graduating from college. Her name was Carol Ann. She was a little short Japanese girl. Have you seen her? Man, she was drop-dead gorgeous, and she was walking across that platform and great receiving. I was a junior. I was graduating for a year, and as she walked across the platform, I was sitting in the back of the building, the very back row of this massive 5,000-seat auditorium, and I remember looking at her and, and hearing this these wonderful things about her, and they were kind of bragging about her and her four years there and things she'd accomplished and all these things, and I was like, man, she seems pretty amazing. And then I thought, she's probably getting married tomorrow. I mean, she's graduating from college. She's beautiful. You know, she's, I was kind of, I thought it was cool that she was Japanese. You know, it's a little different, you know, and I always liked a little different, you know. And uh, so I'm thinking, man, that'll be cool. And so I asked a friend the next day, a college buddy of mine, my roommate, actually, if he would take $5 to go ask her if she was dating anybody. Well, let me tell you something about college students. They'll do anything for $5, literally. Man, he jumped on that opportunity. Five bucks, man. So he takes the five bucks, goes down to where she works and says, hey, listen, uh, I'm not going to tell you who it is, but there's a guy that uh, thinks, you know, we want to be asked if you're, if, you, if you're dating anybody. And Carol Ann said, no. So he came back and told me, I said, what? These guys are idiots. I said, well, here's another $5. Now go ask her what her favorite food is. 
Guy's got 10 bucks, man. He goes back, asks what, what her favorite food is, and she replies, I mean, without stuttering, McDonald's french fries. <laughs> to this day, my wife will take McDonald's french fries with salt. They got to be hot. I mean, got to be hot. But I will tell you this. I don't know if they got the best burger, but I will tell you, no fry can come close to McDonald's french fries. Hot, out of a large. By the way, get the extra large. Just, just man, man up, guys. And uh, so we got a, a large french fry on our first day. Got each a large french fry. I didn't know well enough to share. And, uh, <clears throat> and, and we, we asked 10 questions apiece. We did that for the first 10 dates. Large french fries and 10 questions. We got up to 100 questions. And 20 large french fries, and I started falling for it. And we dated for a year. And I realized, man, I am really starting to have emotional, physical attraction beyond what I can possibly control here, I, which means I need to think about marriage. And, and so I, I said, we got to find that lake and that bench again. So we did. And I sat Carol Ann down, and I began to give my speech. It sounded much like the one I'd given to Sherry, and I just was nervous, and she could tell I was nervous, and I said things like, you know, Caroline, I just need you to know some things about me and my surrender to the ministry and to God and how I feel about him, and I started kind of giving her my resume of my relationship with God, and she said, hold on. I mean, she said it boldly, like, she, she didn't belong to me yet. She said, Eric, are you insinuating that I don't feel that way about God? She said, let me just get something straight here, just so, so you know. You will never be number one in my life. She said, now you'll be number two, but you'll never be number one. God will be number one. When she said that, I thought, ding, 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 ding. I've done found me the one I've been looking for. And I'm still number two. And I don't mind being number two if God's number one. And that's the only way for marriage to work is for God to be the center of not only your heart, but the relationship that you have with any girlfriend, any fiancé, or any mate. God's authority in our marriages is more important than anything else. No other gods. Put God first. Now let's just for a moment look at command number two in closing. And, and when I say closing, I literally do mean that. I mean, I'll just be about seven or eight minutes here. But look at number two. It says here that you shall make for yourself, uh, that you shall not make for yourself a carved image, a graven image, or any likeness. I love this. I love this. You preachers, I think, follow me on this one, or Bible, you know, guys that like to study your Bibles. Don't you like the way God did this? He said, you'll not make any carved image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above, in the earth beneath, in the waters, under the earth. In other words, he says, just in case you're trying to find a loophole, no carved image anywhere. I love it. God starts making it clear. And here's what he's saying. No other gods. And secondly, no idols of any kind. I don't want you taking something. It could be a carved image. It could be some sort of an of a object of worship. I mean, sometimes we find in false religions and in places that I've gone to the mission field that people worship, statues and, 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 and animals and, and dead things. And it kind of gets spooky out there when you, when you look at the world and see that people are actually worshiping idols. But I think in the context of America, it's anything that takes 
becomes a substitute for God. It can be materialism, things. You know, I, I tell you, some people seem to spend more time waxing their car than, than they do at church, you know. I, I've seen material possessions become more important or, or maybe a particular hobby or something that, 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 that takes the place of God. I mean, God's there, but he's not... I mean, this is a little more important. I mean, you can't blame me. I'm human. I'm only human. I mean, this is my car. I've worked hard for this. Or whatever it is. And we begin to actually substitute stuff or treasure. I've even seen it become very prevalent today in society that sex and pornography have become more important than God. And then maybe we could say substances like drugs and alcohol. We begin to depend on those things to dull the pain of something that, we're, that, that God has placed in our lives to bring us closer to Him. Anything that dulls the pain of something that's pushing me to God becomes an idol. God puts pain in our lives sometimes to bring us closer to Him. I, I, that's why I'm amazed that somebody like Miranda Franco, who, who has been recently diagnosed with a strange form of of, of cancer and, and we've been praying for her and God's healing her and working in her life. But what's amazing is I've heard her make this statement, I thank God for the cancer because I'm closer to God than I've ever been. How do you thank God for something like that? If something is pushing you to God, you can thank God for it. Whatever it is. And so command number two is this. Listen, no idols of any kind. And then God goes on to say in verse 5 and 6, let me give you a reason. Okay, God, why can't I have idols? Answer, verse 5 and 6. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, he is jealous for me. Love's like a hurricane. I am the tree bending beneath the weight. That song we just sang is in this verse. I'm a jealous guy. You say, wait a minute, isn't jealousy sin? Well, I, I was thinking you might ask that question, so I looked up the definition of jealousy, and I read it straight up from the dictionary. Wanting something that isn't yours. So here's my question. What isn't God's? Everything's God's. God created everything. God created you. If he's jealous of you, it's okay because you belong to him. And jealousy is wanting something that doesn't belong to you. You belong to God. I belong to God. He's jealous for us. Let's go on to read the rest of the text. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children of the third and fourth generation of those that hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And that's the key. That's why we sang these songs about God's love for us. Because God says there is absolutely nothing more important than God's love. His overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love. That ought to be your and that ought to be my greatest desire and devotion and experience is to love God and to know God's love. My wife and I do not have a great marriage because we love one another. It's because God loves us. And because God loves us, he's taught us how to love one another. But it were not for God's love for us. We would not understand truly what love is. That's why God says the greatest commandment is to what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body. And so then he goes on to say, then your spouse... Then your neighbor. But, but first, it's a love relationship with God. Because when you put God first, everything else falls into place. 
It's true. When you put him first, I don't care what it is. When God is first in your life, it seems as if all of the things that, 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 are, that you're struggling with or potentially the, the issues you have in your marriage or, or the, the problems you have in your finances or, or some of the struggles you have with a friend or at your job, when you put God first, those things begin to come into place. Church family, we ought to submit ourselves to God's authority, to his commands. Understand, they're not to hurt us. They're to keep us from being hurt. You know, that video is a powerful video we watched as we, we saw what the enemy wants to do to all of us, deceive us into thinking that if God says it, that maybe he didn't mean it. Maybe he meant something else. God created marriage. If we're struggling in our marriages, could I propose this to you before even you see a counselor to answer this question? Am I putting God first? Am I putting him first in my life? Doesn't mean you don't need a counselor. Doesn't mean marriage counseling and videos and seminars can't help. But I guarantee if you go into that and anything is in your life first other than God, it's not going to help you. It's not going to help. God's got to be first. I I wanted to give you this as a challenge because... I know how awkward it is to do stuff like this and not have a warning or not have some sort of a heads up. But at the bottom of your worship, God, I said next week we're going to give married couples in our congregation the opportunity to be prayed over by the elders and by the pastors of the church. I just think that'd be good. I don't know. I just think our homes need strengthening and we need to step out and become accountable to one another and and to place ourselves under God's authority as married couples. I know even though I'm married for 30 years that I know that I've got friends that were married for over 30 years that are now divorced. And I, I would have thought they had the best marriage in all the world. So I know my wife and I still have some decisions we've got to keep and God's got to always be first in our lives or our marriage could crumble as well. And so next week, we're going to give you that chance. And so here's what I want you to do. Talk about it. Pray about it. Then be prepared if God leads you to come forward. And if not, that's fine. It's okay. If you're not ready, if, you, if, if you're just not there, it's okay. But if you would say, no, I, I, I want my family, my wife, my relationship to stay committed and to stay uh, under God's authority, then I would challenge you to pray about it this week. And maybe God would lead you to join us. And let's pray together as couples as we finish this sermon series and focus on our families. Anybody that comes forward, it's, we're not stating, just like my wife and I, I mean, we're not stating that we have some kind of perfect marriage. Man, oh man, oh man, we are not perfect. In fact, if you hang out with us at all, you hear us talk about our faults and our failures and our mistakes. I think that's one reason why our marriage is stronger than it's ever been because we don't, we're not trying to mask our, ourselves anymore. We're, we're trying to show that we're broken like everyone else but God is first in our lives and so everything's working out everything's working out because God's first let's put it by our heads for just a moment and I would just like to ask if you're in a place where you would like for God to rewrite the stars rewrite the script maybe there's been some things that have happened and you just need to start over Start fresh, start new with God in your relationship. Maybe God's 
place in your life has slipped to a second or a third or there's an idol or there's something that has kind of stepped in between you and your spouse and it's become more important than God. I would ask that you would consider taking a moment this morning and however you want to respond. If it's at the altar, that's great. If it's where you're standing, that's, that's great too. If you just want to worship for a few minutes, Whatever you need to do, however you want to respond. Our elders are up front. We're, we're here just in case you need us. <laughs> I mean, honestly, we're, we're not here to barge our way into your time with God. We're just here in case you'd like for someone to pray with you. And sometimes we feel led to pray with you. And, and we might kneel next to you and just pray. If you're here today, you've never been saved. And maybe just ever since that baptism and Tyler's testimony... Maybe you've been thinking about that for the entire service. You've never truly trusted Christ, and you've never been buried in the likeness of his death. You've never really been raised in the likeness of his resurrection, and, and you're not even sure what that means, but you're, you, know you, 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 you know there's an emptiness in your heart, and you want to fill that. Well, I suggest to you that Jesus is the only one who can fill that emptiness. And so in just a moment, we'll give you an opportunity, if you'd like, to come forward and just take that step towards God. Whatever it is you need to do, we're here for you. I'm going to pray, and we'll begin to sing as we stand and take a moment to respond. Father, I love you. I thank you, God, for tonight, today, and and for what you're doing. And thank you for a a congregation that, Lord, is is hungry for your word and, and people who are willing, God, to process and listen and Go to their prayer closets. I'm asking our congregation today to do that, even as we stand, just to begin to say, God, what would you have me to do? What what do I need to do about this message? God, how do you, is there anything in my life that, Lord, you need to shine the spotlight on that has become more important than you? God, help us to see those things today clearly. Father, I pray that if there is anyone here today that needs to receive you for the very first time as their personal Savior, that this morning would be that moment in history that becomes the beginning of the rest of their lives as a Christian. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we stand together?